0: Welcome back to another episode of Bitches and Bangers. I'm your host, Aileen, and today we're diving deep into the heart-pounding world of music and pop culture. Buckle up, because we're taking you on a thrilling ride through one of the most iconic music videos in history. In this episode, we're turning back the clock to explore the groundbreaking and spine-tingling masterpiece that is Thriller. From its chilling dance moves to its hair-raising special effects. Thriller changed the game and left a mark on the music world and pop culture at large. But how did it all come together? What was the story behind the scenes and how did it leave an everlasting legacy? Get ready to moonwalk down memory lane as we uncover the secrets, the legends and the impact of the Thriller music video. Whether you're a diehard Michael Jackson fan or just curious about the magic that made Thriller a cultural phenomenon, this episode is gonna be a true banger we're about to embark on a journey into the heart of darkness and music history. This week on Bitches and Bangers, we're discussing Thriller and unearthing the graveyard smash that redefined music videos. Hello everybody, welcome back. Happy Halloween, happy spooky season. I really wanted to do a somewhat spooky episode doing scary slash spooky halloween themed episodes for a music-based podcast um, it's you can't get too scary I guess and if I was gonna I mean I had planned to do more but like always I just can never get these fucking things recorded on time but I said if I was gonna do one it would have to be Thriller it would have to be Michael Jackson's Thriller I feel like in the music world there are certain things that you cannot Brush past, Uh, to name a few, the Beatles, Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra, who else? You know, there's several, you know, in today's day and age would probably be like Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Kanye West. You, I cannot continue to do a music podcast without addressing single-handedly one of the greatest music videos ever made by arguably the greatest entertainer that has ever lived. So yeah, here we are. We're going to discuss the Thriller music video. Um, I can't imagine anybody in the world has not seen it. If you haven't seen it, maybe you should pause and go and watch it and then come back. But I feel like that's not going to be a problem because everybody in the world knows this song, knows this music video, knows the dance, knows the costumes. It's legendary. Thriller is a song by American singer Michael Jackson released by Epic Records in November of 1983 in the UK and on January 23rd, 1984 in the US, as the seventh and final single from his sixth studio album Thriller. It is a funk song featuring a repeating synthesizer bassline and lyrics paying homage to horror films with sound effects such as thunder, creaking doors and wolfhounds. Howls? It ends with a spoken word sequence performed by the horror actor Vincent Price. It was produced by Quincy Jones and written by Rod Temperton, who wanted to write a theatrical song to suit Jackson's love of film. The campy horror spoof music video was directed by John Landis and premiered on MTV on December 2nd, 1983. In the video, Jackson becomes a zombie and performs a dance routine with a horde of the undead. Many elements of the video have had a lasting impact on pop culture, such as The Zombie Dance and Jackson's Red Jacket. And it was the first music video inducted into the National Film Registry. It has been named the greatest music video of all time by various publications and readers' polls. Thriller received positive reviews and became the album's seventh top ten single on the Billboard Hot 100, reaching number four. It reached number one in Belgium, France and Spain. And the top 10 in many other countries. In the week of Jackson's death in 2009, it was Jackson's best-selling track in the US with sales of 167 million copies on the Billboard Hot Digital Tracks chart. It charted on the Billboard Hot Digital Singles chart at number two and remained in the chart's top 10 for three consecutive weeks. Thriller is certified diamond by the Recording Industry Association of America. It appears on several of Jackson's greatest hits albums and has been covered by numerous artists. In 1984, at the 26th Annual Grammy Awards, the song Thriller won the Grammy for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. The song has returned to the Billboard Hot 100 chart multiple times since its initial release due to its popularity around the time of Halloween. Now, Michael Jackson has always been known for his short film-style music videos with songs such as Bad, Smooth Criminal, Black and White, and You Rock My World, just to name a few, but none of them have ever come close to achieving what Thriller has. Thriller is so closely associated with Halloween that it can be easy to overlook the fact that it is one of the most influential music videos ever made for a host of reasons, only partly related to its spooky subject matter. So what exactly about this famous music video changed the way subsequent music videos were filmed and distributed. So I think maybe we'll start with the plot of just to give some context, the plot of the music video for anybody that doesn't know. So in the 1950s, Michael Jackson and a young woman played by Ola Ray run out of gas while driving in a wooded area. They walk into the forest and the woman accepts Jackson's invitation to be his girlfriend. He warns her that he's not like other guys and transforms into a werecat and attacks her. In the present, Jackson and his girlfriend are watching the Werecat film in a theatre. The girlfriend leaves, scared by the film. Walking down a city street at night, Jackson teases her by performing the verses of Thriller. They pass a graveyard where zombies rise from their graves and surround them in the street. Jackson then himself becomes a zombie and dances with the horde to the song. He changes back into a human to sing the choruses. Jackson and the zombies chase his girlfriend into an abandoned house. She screams and wakes up, realising it was a nightmare. Jackson embraces her, but turns to the camera and grins, revealing his weird cat eyes. It really does give, like, leave insert, creative essay, and it was all a dream at the end. I would love to know how many of us were guilty of that one, because Christ, if I could write a fucking creative essay to save my life in English... Junior cert and leaving cert. And you know, that, that, the time is crunching on those exams. you got to end it. And it was all a dream. Classic, classic. So the music video makes many references to horror films of that time. The opening scene parodies 1950s B-movies, which were low-budget commercial films, with Jackson and Ray addressed as 1950s teenagers. The metaphor of the polite boy next door and I'm not like other guys then into a cat has been interpreted as a depiction of male sexuality um, depicted as naturally beastly, predatory and aggressive. It was referred to as a coming of age story by its director Landis with him stating in adolescence youngsters begin to grow hair in unexpected places and parts of their anatomy swell and grow. Everyone experiences these physical transformations in their body, and new, unfamiliar sexual thoughts in their minds. No wonder we readily accept the concept of a literal Meta- metamorphosis. Metam- metamorphosis, metamorphosis. There's always words I put in here that I can't pronounce, and I don't know why I keep doing it. But anyway, I think, um, yeah, I don't. I, it's just a bit like woo in your face, isn't it? That. We're now supposed to look at this music video and think that this is a representation of male sexuality, and that somehow it's normal for male sexuality to be depicted as beastly, predatory, and aggressive. Um, I find those three words maybe, maybe a, maybe a bit much, tad problematic, perhaps. Um, yeah, um, I don't know. It's weird. Like it, it's just a weird concept to think. And basically, in other words, they're saying that undergoing a lycanthropic transformation was a safe way for Michael Jackson to experiment with his puberty, even though he was, in fact, already 24 at the time of filming this. And, you know, everybody's different and people experience things at different times. But the likelihood is that he was probably well past his puberty phase at 24. So, yeah, it's a bit weird. But, like, we all know Michael Jackson was a bit weird. Um, he had a very, very odd and fucked up childhood. So maybe he actually didn't experience puberty property until then. Um, we'll never know, I guess, because he's in the grave, isn't he? Um, sorry, that was a bit morbid. But Anyway, the zombie dance sequence corresponds to the lyrics about a masquerade ball of the dead. Jackson's makeup casts a ghostly parlor over his face and emphasises the outline of his skull, which is supposed to be a direct allusion to the mask from the 1925 version of the Phantom of Opera. Which is actually really creepy, because I've never seen that, I probably should watch it, but I always just know, like, the Andrew Lloyd Webber music video, and the 2004 film with Mr. Jared Butler and Patrick Wilson. That's kind of the one I know, but if you Google the 1925 Phantom of the Opera, he's really creepy and scary, and I can definitely see the comparisons between that and Michael Jackson in Thriller. According to Peter Dendle, the zombie invasion sequence was inspired by the 1968 film The Night of the Living Dead, which I can definitely see. You should just Google pictures of that little sequence. There's definitely some inspiration drawn there. And he also said that the video captures the feelings of claustrophobia and helplessness that were essential to zombie films at that time. So I guess a question is like, how did how did they come about? How did the music video, you know, develop into what it is? So, Jackson's album Thriller was released in November 1982 on Epic Records and spent months at the top of the Billboard 200. It was backed by successful music videos for singles Billie Jean and Beat It, which are credited for raising creative standards for music videos and demonstrating their promotional power. So, even before Thriller, he already had kind of a better understanding of the power of music videos and the effects that they can have on your sales But in June of 1983, the album, after four months at number one, was bumped off the top slot by the soundtrack for Flashdance. It briefly regained the top position in July and was then knocked again, this time by Synchronicity by The Police. The three remaining planned singles, Wanna Be Starting Something, Released in May, Human Nature scheduled for July, and PYT scheduled for September, were not expected to drive album sales the same way that Billie Jean and Beat It had, nor were they suitable for music videos, which, I mean, I personally don't agree with, I think. Especially, I can so picture a music video for Wannabe Starting Something, and for PYT. I want to love you, PYT, pretty young thing. I'd like to see his groovy dance moves for that. But anyway, what would I know? So Michael was upset. He was upset about this. He was obsessed about tracking his sale figures. He compared them constantly to those of his competitors in the top echelon, including Prince and Madonna. He enjoyed being on top, um, said Larry Stessel, who was Epic's West Coast marketing executive who worked closely with Michael. He reveled in it. He didn't like when it ended. With his own album-making history, Jackson yearned to shatter records held by the Fab Four. It was said, it was all about the Beatles. He knew in his heart of hearts that he would never be bigger than the Beatles, but he had such tremendous respect for them, and he'd certainly wanted to come as close as he could. I mean, I had this conversation the other day. I was like, I asked, um... And, uh, I said who do you think's bigger, Michael Jackson or the Beatles? And he said, I think probably Michael Jackson. And I feel like it's so, like, you could ask anybody and there'd be a different answer. But I think he did pretty fucking well at becoming as big as the Beatles. I think people would... Obviously, the Beatles are, like, the biggest selling artists of all time. I think still to this day they are. um, And I think they will be for a long time. But in terms of, like, entertainers, I... Definitely think Michael Jackson is was on is on top was on top. Um, so you know, go listen. You did what you you did what you thought you could, and Michael, you got on the Beatles' level. Go you. But in order to get the album back tra- charting, Jackson wanted to release Thriller as a single, even though it was never planned to be released as a single. Epic saw it as a novelty song, and they asked, "Who wants a single about monsters?" Jackson's manager at the time, Frank. Uh, DeLeo suggested making a music video and recalled telling Jackson, it's simple, all you've got to do is dance, sing and make it scary. Now, you know, that you know, that's pretty easy for most people, make it scary, dance, sing, give a little boogie. But as a child, he had known episodes of real life terror um, in Michael's no, what am I? I'm going to, I was going to say in Michael Jackson's biography, but no, in Michael's biographer, Jay Randy recounted that Joe Jackson, Michael Jackson's father, had once put a fright mask on and crawled into Michael's bedroom through a window at night screaming. Um, that's lovely. Joe Jackson said his purpose was to teach his son to keep the windows closed when he slept. I wonder did he mean like the purpose of that pranker the purpose of his life was to teach Michael Jackson to sleep with the windows fucking closed I mean I feel like there's better ways to go about that than dressing up as a monster and climbing in Um, you know that's a young age to start those therapy bills racking up childhood trauma childhood trauma Um, for years afterwards Michael suffered nightmares about being kidnapped from his room and said that whenever he saw his father he felt nauseated that's a nice relationship to have (laughs) Jackson had reason to be fascinated by scary disguises and things that go bump in the night, but he didn't want them to be to seem too real. His taste generally ran to benign Disney-esque fantasies where people were nice and children were kept safe. "I never was a horror fan," he said. "I was too scared." He would make sure that the tone of his thriller film was creepy comical, but not genuinely terrifying. I think That's fair, like, I mean, I feel like as a child, maybe you'd find it um, terrifying, but, like, the older you get, it is is quite campy, like, (laughs) if I do say so myself, it's serving cunt. It is cunty, campy, spoofy, and I don't think it's genuinely terrifying, I think, at the time, it's quite hard to make things, like, genuinely scary at that time, with, like, prosthetics and stuff, but... I can see why people would be terrified of that, especially as children, so I don't know. But in early August, um, after seeing horror film An American Werewolf in London, which was released in 1981, Jackson contacted the director of that film, John Landis. At the time, commercial directors did not direct music videos, but Landis was intrigued. He said he would do the video if it could become a short film, and Jackson embraced the idea. He wanted to make a theatrical short rather than a standard music video and hoped to use Jackson's celebrity to return theatrical shots or theatrical shorts to popularity. Landis and Jackson conceived a short film shot on 35mm film with the production value of a feature film with the budget of 900 million? Is that right? That seems like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. 900 million dollars which was much larger than any previous music video the 13 minute film that resulted changed the music video game forever becoming less a promotional clip but a cultural phenomenon so I mean as we said 900 million Dallas is it 900 million or 900 thousand I need to double check this No, my bad guys, it was 900,000. I thought that, I thought 900 million, Jesus. God, yeah, I knew. I knew I was reading one too many zeros there. So 900,000 is huge, especially for a music video, Jesus Christ. Um, so where do they get the funding for this? You might ask, or maybe you don't care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, so they rang up Epic Records to propose the film and according to Landis, he the people on the other end of the phone swore so loudly that he had to remove the phone from his ear. What the fucking fucking get? What no fucking way? What fuck? I can just imagine a lot of fucks being thrown across the, the line. Epic had little interest in making another video for Thriller, believing that the album had peaked, and eventually agreed to contribute only a hundred thousand dollars to to fund it. Initially, the television networks refused to finance the project, sharing the view that Thriller was last year's news. MTV, which found success with Jackson's earlier videos, had a policy of not financing music videos, instead expecting the record companies to pay for them. However, after the new channel Showtime agreed to pay half the budget, MTV quickly changed their mind and agreed to pay the rest, justifying the expenditure as financing for a motion picture and not a music video. To help finance the production, Landis's producer George Falsley Jr. suggested a making-of documentary that combined with the thriller video would produce an hour-long film that could be sold to television. The documentary, Making Michael Jackson Thriller, was directed by John Kramer. It includes home video footage of a young Jackson dancing and footage of his performance from The Ed Sullivan Show and Motown 25. MTV paid $250,000. Dollars for exclusive rights to show the documentary. Showtime paid $300,000 for cable, for pay cable rights. Jackson covered additional costs for which he would be reimbursed. First in music video offered to distribute making Michael Jackson a thriller on VHS. This was a pioneering concept as most video cassettes at the time were sold to rental stores rather than directly to viewers. So yeah, he was really changing the game with this. He was selling VHS to... ...directly to people rather than to rental stores. And it was the first time that any... ...music television companies... ...agreed to pay for the rights... ...because they kind of were like... ...this could be something huge... ...and we might make some money out of this... ...and get more views. And they bloody did, they bloody did. So in regards to... ...makeup and wardrobe... ...which was obviously a huge part of the production... ...behind the music video... um. John Landa said in the making of Michael Jackson's thriller, that documentary, that Rick Baker, who won the first ever Academy Award for Best Makeup for An American Werewolf in London, and himself showed Michael movie books filled with with photographs of monsters. They soon discovered that he hadn't seen many horror films. He found most of the pictures too scary. They said... We came to the conclusion that if Michael was going to dance, it would be a hell of a lot easier for his monster to have two legs instead of four. I was adamant that whatever he was going to turn into, he couldn't be too hideous or unattractive. Scary, yes. Creepy, yes. But not ugly. I ultimately suggested that Michael turn into a wolf man, like the one in the 1957's I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Hence the 1950's setting in Thriller in the movie-within-movie part. He initially imagined the werecat would resemble a black panther, but added a longer mane and larger ears. According to Landis, the production involved the largest makeup team in film history up to that point, with 40 makeup artists. Landis' wife, Deborah Landis, who had recently worked on the film Raiders of the Lost Ark, designed the costumes including Jackson's red jacket. It was Deborah's job to play up to Jackson's masculinity while dressing him in hip, casual clothes that were comfortable for dancing. Since the video would be shot at night in a mostly sombre palette, she said, I felt that red would really pop in front of the ghouls. She chose the same colour for both his jacket and jeans to emphasise a vertical line, making his 5 foot 7 inch, 100 pound frame appear taller. The socks and shoes were his own, she says. He took that directly from Fred Astaire who always wore soft leather loafers to dance in and socks. And Michael was elegant. I worked with David Bowie who was also that same body frame. Again, very, very slim. Fred Astaire was a 36 regular. Michael, a 36 regular. And David and Michael and Fred Astaire, you could literally put them in anything and they would carry themselves with a distinction and with confidence and with sexuality. Pop. Off. So that's the hair and makeup. I um, don't want to go too much into it. But in terms of the choreography, Jackson was the one that created the zombie dance alongside choreographer Michael Peters, who had also choreographed the Beat It video. Jackson said that his first concern was to create a zombie dance that did not seem comical. He and Peters imagined how the zombies would move by making faces in the mirror, incorporating jazzy moves, not too much ballet or whatever. Peters also appears in the video as a zombie dancer himself. Um, I I mean, it's the most iconic part of the music video, isn't it? Like, think of how many different flash mobs you've seen of people doing the theatre dance. Um, it's in so many movies, 13 going on 30 being probably the most iconic scene. People know that dance. It's so good. And it really solidified Michael as a dancer, I think, because fuck me Michael Jackson is a serious dancer I think it's one of my favorite things about him as a performer like I used to watch his music videos all the time like Smooth Criminal is by far my favorite of his dances god and they're all so theatrical which makes sense if they're trying to make these like short movies um longer music videos visual albums for it to be theatrical and he was just ma- he was made to do these dances. They're insane. I-, I mean, there's not really much more to say about it, is it? I think everybody knows the dance. Or like, most of the dance. Doo 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 into- and it's so campy. I love how camp it is. I know he says that he didn't want it to be comical, and I don't think it's comical, but it is camp, and you cannot argue with me otherwise. Those, da- those zombies were popping off. They were shaking it. They were giving it all. I mean, if that's what you're going to dance like when you're dead, sign me up. In terms of casting Michael's love interest in the film, after Jennifer Beals of Flashdance turned down an offer to co-star, Landis cast an unknown 23-year-old former playboy playmate named Ola Ray. He said, "'I auditioned a lot of girls, and this girl, first of all, she was crazy for Michael.' She had a great smile, and I didn't know she was a playmate. Jackson signed off on Ray, then reconsidered casting an ex-playmate, and came close to derailing the casting. According to Landis, he said, Michael, she's a playmate, but so what? She's not a playmate in this. And he went, okay, whatever you want. Thriller was the first time Jackson had interacted with a woman in a video, which, according to Landis, he described this as a breakthrough. Landis encouraged Jackson and Ray to improvise during their scenes and urged Jackson to act sexy. According to Ray, the chemistry between them was real and they shared intimate moments during the shoot. Filming for the music video began on October 13th, 1983 in downtown Los Angeles at the Palace Theatre, but filming took place on several other locations. The zombie sequence at the junction of Union Pacific Avenue, and South Caledonia Street in East Los Angeles and the final house scene at 1345 Carroll Avenue in the Angelonian Heights neighborhood of Echo Park. A documentary was the documentary that was released, the making of Thriller, in the opening scene of the documentary you can hear the crowds of thousands of fans, all of different ages and from various different backgrounds screaming for Michael outside the set, most of them praising one thing in particular, his dancing abilities. Although everyone involved in the production had been sworn to secrecy, word of the shoot was leaked and had been broadcast on local radio stations. Several security guards patrolled the set. Michael delighted the crew by hanging out in between sets, and although he didn't say much, he responded graciously to anyone who approached. He would also enjoy a secret interlude with his co-star, Ray. The actress has had her makeup done each day at the studio where Jay and Fonda happened to be shooting a workout video. Ray engaged in girl talk with Fonda who at the time was a friend of Jackson's and solicited tips on how to spark Jackson's romantic interest. As Ray remembers Miss Fonda said, be yourself, just be sweet and talk to him about things that he might be interested in or likes to do. He's a Jehovah witness so you should talk to him about religion. Maybe he will want you to go to church with him one day. Arriving at the set, Ray would sit outside her trailer and finish touching up her makeup. Every day, Michael came and watched, came and sat and watched me. She says, he was in awe of me. He was always in my face, trying to do things with makeup like I did. When he asked me to come and give pointers to his own makeup artist, um, she said, he sa- she said that he said I have a shine on my nose that I can't get rid of, so I agreed to do it. So I'm seriously talking to his makeup artist, trying to explain what to do, and she looked at me and said, Girl, don't you know that no matter how much powder I put on his nose, it's going to shine? Do you know how many nose jobs he's had? Then Michael would start to laugh, because I didn't know he had a nose job. I guess the whole world knew. I mean, I feel like it's pretty obvious that he had several nose jobs even at that point, so... I don't know, joke's on you, but whatever. Uh, The flirtation progressed. She said, I had some intimate moments with him in his trailer. And when asked how intimate, she said, let me see. How can I say this without, you know, being too dot, dot, dot? I won't say that I have seen him in his birthday suit, but close enough. Because he was shy, she tried not to scare him by coming on too strong. She said, what we had was such like a kindergarten kindergarten thing going on. I thought it was important for him to be around someone who would make him feel comfortable and that was my main objective. Uh, someone asked, did they make out? She said, kissing and puppy love making out sessions and a little more than that. That's all she cared to divulge. She said, I've already told you more than I've ever told anybody. And that was for a Vanity Fair article uh, that was that was published like and wrote during the filming. So during filming... As well as getting close to his co-star, Michael also started getting closer to some other members of the team and he divulged a bit deeper into his personal lives and the struggles he was facing at the time. Uh, One night when Joseph and Catherine Jackson, his parents, visited the set, the director recalls, and I quote, Michael asked me to have Joe removed, he said. Would you please ask my father to leave? So I go over to Mr Jackson. Mr Jackson, I'm sorry, but can you please... Who are you? I'm John Landis. I'm directing this well I'm Joe Jackson I do what I please I said I'll have to ask security to remove you if you don't leave now Landis said he had policemen escort Joe Jackson offset which Jackson through his lawyers still denies or er, denied until he died I guess Deny until you die <laughs> distancing himself from his father was a common theme in Michael Jackson's life He had to approve the rems of promotional materials that Epic generated to support Thriller, and one day he called the record label's art department and asked an art director if she could retouch his nose on a famous photo of him as a child. They said, "'I want you to slim the wings of my nose,' Jackson told her. "'Okay, but why, Michael?' And tried to reassure him that his face looked fine just the way it was. He said, "'I don't want to look like my father,' Every time I look at that photo, I think I look like I think I look like my father. Um, there's a lot to unpack there, and again, that's for a different episode. But as I've said before, he he had quite a traumatic childhood. Um, his father was known to be quite abusive to all of them, particularly him, because he was the golden child. So, yeah, maybe that's where his um, obsessive nature and addiction to cosmetic surgery evolved from—is that he didn't want to look like his dad. Which is really sad, but... Um, Although he was no longer Michael's manager, Joe Jackson remained an intimidating and powerful presence in his life. In the summer of 83, Jackson relied on his close advisor, John Branca, to communicate with his father about business matters, avoiding direct confrontation with Joe whenever possible. Michael was scared to death of Joseph, says Larry Steasel, who vividly recalls an evening when Joe walked into the room at the Enchino house and Michael literally moved behind Stessel to hide cowering and it wasn't until the 1993 interview with Oprah that Michael would publicly acknowledge how his father had brutalised him as a child Michael was the De- Jackson's family golden goose and ever since he emancipated himself at the age of 21 Joe had been hostile um, to his solo endeavours and during the time with millions of with the millions of dollars that Triller made Joe and Catherine and all his brothers and sisters all of whom at that point were in need of money thanks to their extravagant spending habits felt entitled to cash in on Michael's wealth they set about organising a Jackson victory reunion tour to take place the following summer railroading Michael into serving as the star attraction Joseph sent his secret weapon Catherine to implore her quote, special one to do right by the family, knowing that Michael could not say no to his mother. Michael did not want to do the tour. Um, He said to them, I will do this for you this this once, but don't come and ask me for money again. After this, I have to do my own projects. That's not even, like, the most interesting part of this. Um, So, like, at the time of Thriller just wrapping up filming and being released and everything... Michael, as I mentioned briefly there, he was a practising Jehovah Witness who obeyed his religion's mandate to spread the faith by knocking on doors of his neighbours, um, wearing a crude disguise of moustache and glasses. He attended services at the local Kingdom Hall and abstained from drinking, swearing, sex before marriage and supposedly R-rated movies. Uh, at the time, Landis teased Jackson about having watched the R-rated an American Werewolf in London, I said, Michael, what about the sex? He said, I closed my eyes. So because of this, weeks before the premiere, Jackson was told by the organization's leaders that the music video promoted demonology and that he would be excommunicated. Jackson called his assistant, John Branca, and ordered him to destroy the film. The production team agreed to protect the negatives and lock them in Branca's office while they tried to suggest different ways for Michael to deal with this. Branca suggested that they include a disclaimer at the start of the video, stating that it did not reflect Jackson's personal convictions. In a, statement, in a statement published by Awake, a magazine published by the Watchtower Bible and Track Society of Pennsylvania, Jackson said, and I quote, I just intended to do a good, fun, short film, not to purposely bring to the screen something to scare people or to do anything bad. I want to do what's right. I would never do anything like that again he said he had blocked further distribution and promotion of the film where he had been able. Ultimately, the the disclaimer just added to the hype around the film and became an accidental stroke of marketing genius, even though it was only created to, to remove Jackson from being associated with the occult or demonology. It was legendarily scandalous with the now- with a now famous disclaimer that it in no way endorses a belief in the occult feeding into the era's uh, tetralizing frenzy over satanic panic um i found this part really interesting actually and you know spooky time is coming around so i was watching all my favorite scary films like the exorcist and the conjuring and all those those films um And I was like, ooh, satanic panic, that's got a ring to it, let me look into this. So the satanic panic was the societal fear of the occult that troubled the US and other parts of the world throughout the 1980s and into the early 1900s. It was one of the most famous prolonged mass media scares in history, and it was characterised at its peak by fearful media depictions of godless teenagers and the deviant music and media they consumed. This, in turn, led to a number of high-profile criminal cases that were heavily influenced by all the social hysteria. Most people associated satanic panic with so-called satanic ritual abuse, a rash of false allegations made against daycare centres in the 80s, and and there was a specific case of the West Memphis Tree in the 90s, in which three teenagers whose wrongful convictions of homicide charges were based on little more than suspicious than suspicion over their gothic lifestyles um yeah I didn't really look too much well I looked a bit into it but I feel like it's it's relevant but I don't want to divulge too deep into it but it was really interesting I mean that specific case I think they were incarcerated for 14 years or something and then they were let go after finally being proven like that they were wrongfully committed but that was a whole big thing this satanic panic and yeah it kind of started like around the time like The Exorcist was released and everybody was like, This is gonna encourage our youth to to seek, you know, answers in things that aren't Christianity, like the occult um Ouija boards became really popular. It was crazy. Um you know, and then like leading into the nineties you have T V shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, shit like that and like, if you even look in recent times with the whole, which is honestly, and I do think a lot of this, a lot of this is like a hundred percent marketing, and it's fucking genius if you ask me. But Little Nas X's whole um, Montero album, and specifically the music video for "Call Me by Your Name," where he's in the Garden of Eve, the Garden, the Garden of Eve, that's what it's called, yeah, and he basically gets exiled to hell and then he finds lap dancing on the devil, kills the devil, he becomes the devil. Then he releases the Satan Shoes with Nike and it was crazy and genius because he was put in a box of, he was going to be this kid's bop singer, entertainer after he released Old Town Road. That's who he was going to be. And he just said, absolutely fucking not. Like, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to give Middle America the middle finger. And I just I loved it. It was so entertaining. People got so riled up about it, genuinely thinking that like he was practicing technology. You have you know the likes of Doja Cat at the minute, people like being like, She's the devil, she's the devil, she a bad little bitch, she a rebel. Um, the song is catchy as fucking hell, so whatever she's doing is working, but people are genuinely afraid to listen to this music because they think that it means you're one step closer to going to hell if you listen to this music. It's insane. If you would like me to do a whole episode on Satanic Panic and music, please let me know because it's so fascinating and interesting. I genuinely think I'm going to do it because after reading the tiny little snippet here, I love it. I love it. I feel like that should have been my spooky season episode was satanic panic but i didn't know too much about it but now i do and i think i'm gonna do an episode on it guys but let me know what you think but yeah that was super interesting so jackson had at that time he was stressed about you know being exiled from the Jehovah Witness community. He had his dad to deal with. He clearly, at that point, like, wasn't really experimenting with his sexuality, or, I mean, I don't really know, he was giving off very asexual vibes, like, there was a lot happening. He was obviously super famous because he was part of the Jackson 5 for years and then he had his, honestly, one. Of, I fucking love his album, Off the Ball, and then Going Into the Thriller, which was already successful before he released the music video. He had a lot going on, personally. Um and that wasn't even the height of his fame so you know i don't think he really knew what was to come so it was probably a lot for it was probably a lot going on in his little noggin but on november 14th 1983 thriller was shown to a private audience at the crest theater in los angeles in attendance were celebrities including diana ross warren betty prince and freddie and oh not freddie mercury <laughs> eddie murphy how the fuck did i get freddie mercury and eddie murphy mixed up eddie murphy Jackson stayed in the projection boot, declining Ray's invitation to join her in the audience. The audience gave the film a standing ovation and Eddie Murphy insisted that the film be played again. The video then debuted on MTV alongside the making of Michael Jackson's thriller on December 2nd, 1983. After each broadcast, MTV advertised when they would next play it and recorded audience figures ten times the norm. Showtime aired the video six times in February. Within months, the documentary sold a million copies, making it the best-selling video release at that point. As films required theatrical screenings to be eligible for Academy Awards, Landis had had the video played for screenings of Fantasia, the 1940 Disney film, at Los Angeles cinemas. Though, yeah, anyway. um. Sorry, I had a little bit of a brain fart there. But the video double-boosted the sales of what the original album had made, um, which sold a million copies a week following the video's debut, as I just said, and that made it the best-selling album of all time. At the 1984 MTV Video Music Awards, Thriller won the award for Viewer's Choice, Best Overall Performance and Best Choreography, and was nominated for Best Concept Video best male video, and video of the year. Um, The success transformed Jackson into a dominant force in the global pop culture and cemented his status as the king of pop. According to Landis, the response was a surprise to everybody but Michael Jackson. It's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy, it's crazy. This then kind of sparked debate and controversy about whether it was considered a music video or short film in a 1983 article published for the los angeles times by michael london it said michael jackson's thriller is it a rock video or a short film as a contender for an oscar it is launching a revolution in the article london speaks about the confusion surrounding what genre it falls into he stated Its model status is expected to create an uproar at this year's short film competitions, traditionally a showcase for small scale projects by aspiring filmmakers. We're on the edge of a possible revolution. If this category gets crowded by a lot of big money music films, something will have to be done. Now there's no rules um, exactly prohibiting music videos for competing as a live action short film in the likes of the Academy Awards, the only requirement is that entries are less than 30 minutes long and be screened theatrically before they run on television. However, unlike conventional films, conventional short films even, music videos are commercial ventures intended to help with the sale of records. It was said by Carl uh, Colbert of the American Film Institution that they have nothing to do with filmmaking, it's just giving an extra dimension to the music. So during that award season it remained to be seen whether the music video um would whether the music video for Feather would gather academy award voters um, with many of the members of the selection committee being in their 60s and 70s and at that time they were constre- extremely conventionally minded and the vid- the music video did not end up receiving an oscar nomination but you know whatever I It got every other accolade under the sun, so... I don't think it was too big of a loss to Michael. Um, There was a lot of litigation around it in, you know, future years. In January 2009, just six months before Michael died, John Landis and George Fosley both filed suits against Michael Jackson and his company for breach of contract, alleging that they had not been paid their 50% of royalties in many years and accusing Jackson of fraudulent, malicious and oppressive conduct. Landis said that over the years he had spoken with Jackson many times to complain that he, Landis, was not receiving the royalties due to him and that Jackson promised to correct the matter. But the entertainer's financial affairs were chaotic for the last decade of his life as he continually shuffled his business managers. Branca and his own attorney, Howard Weidman report that the Thriller video's accounting records are currently being audited as part of an executor's obligation to settle Jackson's estate debts. From our perspective, Landis and Falsey are priorities, says Wetzman. They will definitely get paid what they're owed. Ola Ray also sued Jackson on May 5th 2009 for non-payment of royalties. She said, I got the fame from Thriller, but I did not get the fortune. In 1998, she fled Los Angeles and the casting Couch Syndrome, she says, plagued her for years following the Thriller. There were so many big-name directors who told me that if I wanted to do films, I had to sleep with them, she says. She moved to Sacramento to be closer to her family and is today a stay-at-home mom to her daughter. Ray enjoys hearing from Michael Jackson fans on Facebook and Twitter, she says. I can't walk down the street without people recognising me. Ray says she still thinks about Jackson every day with considerable regret. She said, I just wish I would have had the opportunity to be a bit more in his life. I bet he would have been happy with me. It would have taken someone like me who would not put pressure on him or play him for his money or anything other than I wanted to be with him for who he was. I had no other agenda than that. I think she liked him a lot more than he liked her. So what was the legacy that the Thriller music video left on the music industry and that's still, you know, we can see today. It sealed MTV's position as a major cultural force, it helped disassemble racial barriers for black artists, it revolutionised music video production, popularised making of documentaries and drove rentals and sales of VHS tapes. Music video director Brian Grant credited Thriller as a turning point when music videos became a proper industry. Nina Blackwood, who was a former MTV executive, said music videos improved after Thriller, with more storylines and more intricate choreography. She said, You look at those early videos and they were shockingly bad. Public demand to watch Thriller outside of its TV airings created a video rental boom, and crucially, its popularity pushed FM radio stations and MTV to give equal time to black entertainers alongside white artists on what had been until then tactically segregated outlets. More than any other artist, Jackson ushered in the heyday of the music video, demonstrating its promotional power, raising the bar creatively, and paving the way for a greater acceptance of black musicians on MTV. Triller marked the most incandescent moment in Jackson's life, his apex creatively, his apex creatively, as well as commercially. He would spend the rest of his career trying to surpass it. Glenn Burnham, who was then Jackson's publicist, said, In the -the off-the-wall thriller era, Michael was in a constant state of becoming. It was all about the music until it also became about the sales and the awards and something changed in him forever. It was the thriller video that pushed Jackson over the top, consolidating his position as the King of Pop, a royal title he encouraged and Elizabeth Taylor helped popularise. The album was nominated for 12 Grammys and won a record-breaking eight, making Jackson an unstoppable force who had to be taken seriously. Jackson wrote in his biography, Moonwalk, there were times during the Thriller Project where I would get emotional or upset because I couldn't get the people working on working with me to see what I saw. Vaughn Arnell, who had videos on MTV in its earliest days and has gone on to make 12 promos for Robbie Williams and 3 for One Direction, remembers... Thriller with some trepidation he said in many ways it wasn't something you really wanted to aspire to when you're making music videos it's like you're a tailor you cut the suit to fit your model and the artist you're working with Thriller was the biggest recording artist in the world at the time working with probably the biggest director and it was an amalgamation of those two talents they made something that was so perfect for the early 80s it took videos to another level, but in my world and in the world of many artists we were dealing with, it was almost like it didn't relate. I kind of get that, though. You know, when something is just, like, too good to be through. Like, I used to have a piano teacher when I was kind of, like, six year, like, fifth year, sixth year. And she wasn't that much older than me, maybe, like, three or four years older than me and she was so good like she was so good that I was kind of like what is even the point of me going here because I'm never going to be as good as you it's what I imagine people look like artists would look at when they see Beyonce like when they go see her performing at her renaissance tour they're like why am I even bothering trying to compete with that because you can't like you just can't and listen different artists suffer different things and we need them all but I can imagine back then when they fucking seen Thriller being released they were all like well fuck me It was Graham and we could just release a nice little video of me with my little guitar singing into my microphone like the way the Beatles used to release their music videos. But no, we can't do that anymore because this is now the standard we have to fucking live to. That's crazy pressure. Crazy. But that's why he was the king of pop, I guess. Uh, Another music. Video director Trudy Bellinger was studying art in Brighton when it was first shown and it inspired her to start making music films herself. She said, It was really groundbreaking to have such a long video and it helped to shape the future of music videos which previously had been more performance-based. I recall everyone at college talking about it, about how it was like a mini-movie and how much it had cost. It really opened our eyes to music videos as a creative form of filmmaking and a potential career. She went on to direct six of Girls Aloud's music videos, so I don't really know if they were the same standard, but I mean, God, give me biology and long hot summer. Any day those music videos slapped. The show? Nobody sees the show, not till my heart says so. Actually, no, I take that back. Girls Aloud's music videos were iconic. So go you, Trudy. Thank you for them, because they shaped my childhood. Um, another, you know inspired kid of that time was uh, Sir Spike Jones who was 14 when Triller was released he said, I loved it it had some magic that made it shine when I started directing videos myself a few years later it was like a touch point, I didn't have this thought intellectually at the time but when I watch it now I realise that there's no reason for a lot of it, it's so free and loose, there's the car running out of gas and it's like a movie, then it just keeps going as if they're saying that'd be cool, let's do that Michael Jackson seems like this kid who loves music, horror films, special effects, makeup, zombies, and wants all of those things in the video. It has that spirit to it that must have been contagious. It spoke to other kids. So Jones took that freedom that he sensed in Thriller and its eccentric and humorous way and ran with it, creating some of the 90s most famous music videos, including the Beastie Boys Sabotage and Praise You by Fat Boy Slim, which still get continually spoofed today. He said, when I made videos, whether it was the Beastie Boys or Bjork, we weren't chasing anything. It was never like some marketing thing. I just wanted to create something that would do justice to the song and I was excited about making. And I think Thriller was the same. I think Thriller has also contributed hugely to the popularity of visual and video albums. And even though visual albums were around before michael jackson i mean the likes of the beatles released several they released like yellow submarine hard days night help as like kind of short films for the album promotion but i do think michael jackson really solidified this like he before thriller like his music videos were brilliant anyway the choreography like beat it is oh my god i love that music video based on my side story his dancing is phenomenal and then in his follow-up album, Bad, which isn't technically considered a visual album, he did release nine consecutive music videos for the album, most of them over the five-minute mark, and the album was only 11 tracks long, so there's only three tracks that didn't have music videos. Now, to be considered a visual album, the album is to be accompanied by either a feature-length film, which would have been the likes of The Beatles, they released a feature-length film for Yellow Submarine, Hard Day's Night and Help, Or, you can have individual music videos for every song. So that's why Bad isn't technically considered a visual album, even though I I would consider it one. Christ, go and watch the music videos for that. Watch. No, Smooth Criminal is the best one, guys. Go watch it. The Dance in Smooth Criminal. I rewatched it today, and I was like, wow. I love this. But they're all good. All the music videos are good. Bad, oh my god, Banging. I think that's his longest video as well. Or maybe it's You Rock My World. Either or. So, and like, a visual film or visual album is um, to emphasise the album's overall team and serve as like a visual vehicle that enhances the experience. I really do believe that Michael's creativity with his music videos inspired many more artists to experiment with their music videos. You know, thanks to this, we have, we have got like Beyonce, she's like the queen of a visual album. Although B-Day wasn't technically, it's not technically considered a visual album, like she fucking released, I I think, I'm, I think, mm, yeah, I don't think it's considered a visual album, I think it's considered a video album, which is different in some way, but she released so many videos for that album. Um, Her self-titled album, Beyonce, is a visual album, Lemonade is a visual album, Black is King, the album Shit for the Lion King is a visual album. Still waiting for the visuals for Renaissance, Queen Bee, bring 'em. We're waiting patiently. You have um Endless by Frank Ocean. Loads of ones. You know, it's he really like solidified video aesthetics, you know, for your songs. And I always think of the likes of Lady Gaga. Fuck me, like there was a period there where we were getting such good music videos. Like such good music videos and like the two late 2000s early naughty like no early like late naughty's early like 10s we were getting banging music videos like telephone by lady gaga and beyonce oh my god california Girls, snoop dogg and katie perry there were so many good music videos and i think my theory is that what ruined it was youtube right and people can argue differently because it can be seen as a positive thing like when youtube was released you look at the likes of gangnam style that had quite a relatively low budget nobody knew who this person was they didn't have any like major social following they made like a relatively simple music video that was quite high quality but like didn't cost much just did this dance and fuck me do you remember when that blew up on youtube And then we've kind of gone back to, like, just basic videos. Like, nobody is making music videos anymore. I need good music videos. And I think it's, excuse me, oh, my God, I think it's because nobody's watching the music channels. I recently got a dodgy box, and one of my favourite things to do now is to put on MTV and just sit and watch the music videos. And sometimes, and I know that, like, some of my friends can relate to this, sometimes I love, because I use Spotify or I use my record player or whatever, but sometimes I love going on YouTube on the telly I'm putting on like a music video and then just letting whatever plays afterwards because it feels like i'm watching old school music channels again there was nothing better nothing better we need to bring that back michael jackson didn't fucking create a 14 minute masterpiece for nothing guys bring back the good music videos oh but yeah i mean his legacy clearly like continued on and people are getting lazy now i think but whatever so yeah he revolutionized the concept of music videos he the imagery became like pop culture like it was like iconic in pop culture like his werewolf the synchronized zombie dance the red letter jacket they're instantly recognizable in pop culture i dare you to name me another song that you hear the first few bars of and you're like oh like when you hear that like everybody knows it everybody will stop and they'll be like oh shit oh shit everybody can do the dance right and this is the good thing about the dance the dance is quite accessible everybody can do it or like you can teach yourself to do it and you could be the worst dancer in the world and you can still do it but also if you're like a really fucking good dancer you can take it to the next level and you can be popping off like, I'm never going to be able to dance the thriller like Michael Jackson does. But some people can, and it's crazy. Like, the phenomenon that has caused. Like, the amount of flash mobs people have done for this music video. Every Halloween, it is, like, the song of the season. It's crazy. Like, the dance is performed in major cities around the world. I think the largest one was... In Mexico City. And they had 12,937 dancers. And then I don't know if you remember that one. About the prisoners. They did a flash web and it was uploaded to YouTube years ago. And they had 1,500 prisoners performing the dance. And that got 14 million views by 2010. It's crazy. It's been... How long has it been since Thriller's been released? Over 40 years, you know what I mean? I just, people are like, does it stand the test of time? And I'm like, of course it does. I, I won't even get into the lyrics are fucking genius that song, but that's not what we're talking about, we're talking about the video, but the lyrics are genius. Like, um, you start to scream, but terror takes the sound before you make it. You know, that's that's crazy. That's like some Hermione Granger getting petrified in the Chamber of Secrets shit. You know what I mean? Let's look into some of the numbers here. So 1.8 million is the amount that the Texan gold trader Milton Verrett paid for Jackson's red leather jacket at an auction in June 2011. 26 inches is the size of Jackson's waist at the time of filming. One million is the estimated sum of unpaid royalties for which Landis and Sue Jackson in 2009. 156.4 million is the number of views from the official posting of the Thriller video. And 9.5 million was the total home video and DVD sales of the making of Michael Jackson's Thriller the legacy is like insane and like even really fucking shitty not shitty really like silly things like the him eating the popcorn in the cinema that is like i think that's like the most iconic gif of all time or i think it's like the most used gif of all time like that you know the one i'm talking about where he's eating the popcorn it's like when uh when i hear office drama starting and he's like eating the popcorn like that's still being used today it's insane there's also a new thriller documentary coming out in December, second of December I want to say, something around sometime around then. By show, I think Showtime um running it. So I'd be really interested to see that because there's not a lot of like behind the scenes footage apart from the making of documentary, but there's not a lot of other like footage and opinions around like at the time. So I'm really intri- intrigued to watch that. And I, it'll obviously be about... I think it's about the album. I don't think it's about the song itself. Which is... Even, I like knowing how the whole... I would like to know how the whole album was put together as well. So maybe that'll be an episode for another day. But yeah, I think, like, in summary, the Thriller music video is an iconic and enduring work of art that has had a profound effect on the music industry and popular culture. Its influences continue to be felt and it remains a testament to the creative and groundbreaking genius of Michael Jackson and the art of music video production. So that's all. I mean, it started raining. There's fireworks currently going off in, in honour of the spooky season. I had intended to get this out at the weekend, so people might have actually listened to it. Um, but uh, I spent most of it hungover, so that was that was great. But thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoyed. hope you learned something, as always. And, yeah, please, if you have time... Will you give it, like, a little rate on Spotify or wherever you're listening to it? There's, like, at the top, you'll see. You'll be able to rate it however many stars. Preferably five stars if you'd be so kind. But, you know, whatever you think. If you have any suggestions or anything, go to my Instagram, etc. Etc. You know where to find me. TikTok, whatever. But, yeah. Thank you, guys. I love yous and leave yous. And happy Halloween.